Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about trippy psychedelic drugs that could alter everything we know about mental health a glacier on Mount Everest that is literally blowing away, and an object in the far reaches of our solar system that may or may not be there. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Nate, I know you just love sports. Mm. What is the most impressive baseball fact you know? Oh, easy. Aroldis Chapman threw a baseball over 105 miles per hour. I don't even know how a human does that. Well, how about this? On June 12, 1970, Pittsburgh Pirates player Doc Ellis pitched a Major League Baseball game where he only walked eight batters and struck out six. That's interesting, but the most impressive? Yes, that's because Doc pitched what is called a no-hitter. Not one opposing batter made it to base with a hit. Of the 218,400 games that have been played in professional baseball, there have only been 314 no-hitters, or 0.0015%. Here's the crazy thing. Doc accomplished this while hallucinating on the psychedelic drug LSD. Really? That is insane. And it's stories like this that lead many experts to think that psychedelic drugs have some positive health benefits. So buckle up, Nate. We're going to the cutting edge of neuroscience. Better than going to a van down by the river. (laughs) Not far from the river, actually. The River Thames. Scientists at the Center for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London are doing fascinating work on the clinical use of psychedelic compounds. Oh, things like DMT, MDMA, and ketamine, right? You rattled that list off with ease. Uh, But yeah, they're a loose group of drugs that change our thoughts and perceptions of the world. Think hallucinations, mood changes, dreamlike states, and even feeling closer to your fellow human. This is all very mind-spinning stuff. It's hard to see any medical applications here. Oh, we'll get there. But you're about to find out how these chemicals have very real applications for people living with PTSD and trauma. Now, psychedelics can be found naturally, like psilocybin from magic mushrooms and many like ayahuasca have been used in traditional cultural ceremonies for centuries. Okay, but whether they come from the earth or the lab, it seems to me these are normally consumed under, let's say, unscientific conditions. Sometimes. There's still a lot to learn, but early studies are giving scientists hope that psychedelics could be used for mental health care and to explore human consciousness itself. That's a big deal. These are ideas we've been grappling with for, well, forever. So what exactly do these drugs do to our brains? Scientists at the Center for the Neuroscience of Psychedelics at Massachusetts General Hospital say psychedelics help our brains change and allow a reset to take place that gets us out of stuck ways of thinking. Uh, If anyone can get me unstuck from the ending of Game of Thrones, I'm curious. (laughs) But how do they reset a brain? Scientists think it happens in a few ways. Psychedelics briefly disconnect our brain's resting state for a sort of brain reboot. They also help us create new connections between neurons for different thought pathways. That's neuroplasticity, right? Our brain's ability to change? Right on. And they can also put us into a transient state. What would that do? Scientists think it helps change our perspective. Patients could look at memories, feelings, and traumas a bit differently. That could be really helpful for people who are stuck in patterns of negative thoughts and actions. So does this mean I should start popping some caps and stems? Oh, definitely not. The research is raising interesting questions the Center for Psychedelic Research is pursuing, but they're trying to answer these questions in controlled therapeutic settings. 
Don't try to repeat them with some guy named Troy. <laughs> well, what questions are they trying to answer? If they can change our brain, what types of brains are they trying to change? There is a lot of hope for patients who don't currently have effective treatment, like patients who battle anorexia or depression. Those are two classic examples of patients who might benefit from a reset to knock them out of established negative thoughts and actions. And I know that a lot of conventional treatment doesn't always work in those cases. And psychedelics might be able to help with another fickle problem, chronic pain. I know effective and non-addictive treatment is kind of like the holy grail here. Exactly. Researchers think our brain itself might actually be one of the biggest problems. The neural connections that relay and process pain can be reinforced and even strengthened over time. Folks who experience chronic pain actually become more sensitive to pain. Ooh, a pain feedback loop. If we could reboot that brain... Scientists hope psychedelics could reroute the neural pathways to reduce sensitivity to pain and patient suffering. You mentioned consciousness, too. Some of these psychedelics provide what could be described as mystical experiences, and researchers are studying brain activity before, during, and after these otherworldly experiences to get a better understanding of what exactly consciousness is and how it can change. We went from mad scientists to Dr. Strange. Well, we might not be heading into the Marvel Universe yet. Psychedelics are moving into the mainstream with some very promising results. Organizations like DARPA and NYU are even investing in research. I guess it goes to show that something that can be misused could also be used to improve humanity itself. And maybe even your fastball. I wouldn't count on that one. <laughs> Callie, have you noticed that more bars are serving drinks with giant ice cubes? Yes, what is up with that? The question used to be crushed or cubed, and now it's crushed or grapefruit-sized? Well, there is a reason. When bartenders are making cocktails, a single large ice cube has significantly less surface area than a bunch of smaller ice cubes. Less surface area means less melting, which means the drinks aren't so watered down. So my old-fashioned will taste like an old-fashioned and not an old-fashioned flavored LaCroix? Exactly. Unfortunately, in the great cocktail that is the planet Earth, even our biggest cubes are melting. Is it because someone ordered it shaken, not stirred? <laughs> it's because someone ordered it climate changed. A team of researchers, mountaineers, and Sherpas from Nepal and around the world climbed to the South Coal Glacier at the top of Mount Everest, and what they found was pretty chilling. Or warming? They climbed Mount Everest for science? That is some Indiana Jones-level research. Except you need an ice axe instead of a bullwhip. And a mountaineering helmet instead of a dirty fedora. But rather than archaeologists, the team had biologists, geologists, glaciologists, meteorologists, and mapping scientists. I would love to walk into a bar and introduce myself as a glaciologist. It's an incredible title, right? As you can imagine, they study glaciers, which are giant piles of ice formed on land when snow piles up and is compressed over the course of years. These massive ice piles grow and recede and can even slowly move like turtle-paced rivers thanks to their massive weight. Okay, but if they're studying ice at the top of Mount Everest, what could they possibly find? How could it be melting if it never gets above freezing up there? Well, while it takes thousands of years to compress snow into ice to make a glacier, scientists found that right now, the glacier is melting, and it's melting really fast. Wait, how, how can that be? Well, let's take a step back. Before this expedition, all scientists could do was estimate how much water was in a glacier by looking at surface area, not depth. But on this expedition, the team set the Guinness World Record for the highest altitude ice core ever taken, 26,312 feet, using a specially modified drill system. 
An ice core is a long cylindrical sample that allows scientists to analyze the ice that formed over centuries. Each layer is a little snapshot of time, and the drill is a big, long tube that yanks the core out of the earth. Oh, interesting. It's kind of like when you put a straw in a slushy. There's a little core of slush inside the straw. Totally. The expedition also installed the two highest weather stations on Earth at the base of the glacier. They took all this info and ran computer models to simulate thousands of years of glacier growth and retreat, and what they found was deeply concerning. I'm guessing we aren't getting any more glacier? Mm, In just the last 25 years, the glacier lost 180 feet of thickness. Oh, that that doesn't sound too bad. It took 2,000 years to form. Wait, it never gets above freezing. How is it melting if it's still cold? No doubt about it, it is cold. But climate change has caused the cold air at the top of Everest to be just a bit warmer, and warmer air holds more moisture. So as wind whips the glacier, it can easily absorb any water vapor that comes off of the ice and whisk it away. The glacier is literally blowing away. Well, how fast? I imagine the wind blows a lot up there. Scientists think this melting process started in the 1950s, but in the 90s, the snowpack that covered the glacier and reflected a lot of sunlight melted away. One of the researchers said this wasn't due to one single change in the region's climate. It was more likely the glacier crossed a tipping point where everything changed due to steady increases in temps over the decades. And all this melting left the raw ice exposed to the sun's radiation, meaning more vaporizing and a lot more melting. So if I want to see the glacier before it blows away, how soon do I have to start climbing Everest? You better start training now. The process is accelerating, and we are losing decades worth of ice every year. At this pace, the glacier might completely disappear within 30 years. Over a billion people rely on glacier-stored water from the Himalayas for drinking and irrigation. This can't be good. It's not. And as this glacier and other glaciers throughout the world's mountain ranges melt, we may see big floods and landslides. It really shows that nowhere is safe from climate change. But the silver lining is that there are steps we can all take today to lessen the effects of climate change. Whether it be carpooling to work, small changes in our diets, or plugging into renewable energy, little changes made by all of us can have a big impact. I think it's about time for one of those old fashions we were talking about. Maybe a warm cup of tea would be more appropriate. I don't need to watch any more ice melt. Yeah, but old fashions. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up, Nate? A science podcast host for Discovery. Aw, look at you. You're achieving your dreams. At one point, I wanted to be a detective. I am obsessed with true crime. I yell when investigators miss something, like how everyone's uncle yells at the TV during football games. It's like, relax, Callie. You're not a cop, honey. Uh, I bet you're the type who has photos of suspects up on the wall and red yarn going from clue to clue. You haven't slept in days. You're on coffee number 14. Excuse me. I am sort of well-rested, but you're right. I get super invested. And that's why I love this next story. It is a mystery of cosmic proportions. Researchers and scientists have been trying to solve it for about 100 years. But instead of trying to find a killer, everyone is searching for a whole planet that is harder to pin down than Carmen San Diego. I think I've heard of this. It's called Planet Nine, right? Yep, Planet Nine. Because if it's found, it will be the ninth planet in our very own solar system. But like all good investigations, let's start with the facts. In the early 1900s, a theory was going around that there was a massive planet far out in our solar system, and it was a believable theory because Uranus and Neptune have wonky orbits. The gravitational pull from a huge planet could explain those. So a man named Percival Lowell became obsessed with finding it, so obsessed that he built a whole dang observatory in Arizona. Talk about commitment, but given the setup of the story, I'm guessing he never found it. 
Correct. But a few years after his death in 1930, a young astronomer working at Lowell's observatory spotted an interesting speck in two photos of the night sky. After some analysis, scientists realized that this speck wasn't big enough to explain the orbits of Uranus and Neptune. But this speck turned out to be Pluto. Ooh, how fun. Good for him. And what a great pickup line. Hi, I'm the guy who discovered Pluto. (laughs) I'd go on a date with him. Anyways, this brings us to 1989. A NASA space probe did a flyby of Neptune on its way out of the solar system. And when they looked at the data the probe sent back, NASA decided there wasn't anything strange influencing the orbits of the outer planets. So it seemed like this elusive Planet 9 didn't exist at all. The case had gone cold. But then... Did investigators find another clue? Yes, they did. In 1992, a couple astronomers discovered the Kuiper Belt, which is a giant disk of asteroids, comets, and frozen debris just past Neptune. It's kind of like the asteroid belt, but some think it's like 200 times bigger. Here, astronomers found half a dozen huge objects called dwarf planets. One of these dwarf planets is called Sedna. So just like good investigators, astronomers turned their eyes towards Sedna, they waited, and they watched. It's like we're on a stakeout. Inside the panel van is a bunch of cool tech, but on the side of the van, it just says, Planet 9 Plumbing. (laughs) And astronomers pretended to be plumbers for 24 years. Because in 2016, they observed that Sedna was moving around the sun in a very weird way. It was kind of drifting in and out of a normal orbit, almost as if something was tugging on it. Oh my goodness, Planet Nine is tugging on it. I know it. Here's where the cold case becomes warm. All six of those dwarf planets were tilted on their axis in the same direction. The probability of that happening randomly is 0.007%. So it's super unlikely they all just happen to be tilted the same way. The only plausible explanation is that there must be something causing that tilt. We need to bring Planet Nine in for questioning. And a lot of folks want to, because we know that there are 11 large objects being affected by the gravitational pull of something. But if we want to bring it in for questioning, we got to find it first. Well, if I've learned anything from TV, we need a bounty hunter. Specifically, one with a blonde mullet named Dog. He can find anything. Our version of Dog the Bounty Hunter is a telescope. We are currently using a 24.6-foot Subaru telescope on top of a sleeping volcano in Hawaii. The problem is, because they shared the telescope with other scientists, our researchers only get to use it three nights a year. So they are pumped for the Vera Rubin Observatory to open in Chile around 2023. This private eye will take pics of the entire visible sky every few nights. But if we're not sure what it is, what exactly are they looking for? That's the question of the century. If it is a planet, it could be a giant, rocky version of Earth, or it could be a gaseous, icy planet with a solid core. So, yeah, a big range. But the thing is, we're not even sure if it's a planet, because there are other things in the universe that can exert major gravitational pull. And some experts have proposed that Planet Nine could be something called a primordial black hole. But these have never been studied or even found. So we know that something is out there, but we really have no idea what. That's right. We're living in hypothetical land. And until technology allows us to see it or it reveals itself, this case will remain active and open. And I'll keep trying to connect the dots. Because it's not about me. It's about the universe. But the universe needs me. So it is about me. Detective Nate, give me a coffee. What am I, a barista? You got hands. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. New research is moving trippy psychedelics into the realm of cutting-edge neuroscience. Researchers hope this class of drugs could help reboot the brain to treat psychological issues like depression, anorexia, and chronic pain. 
Scientists discovered the South Coal Glacier atop Mount Everest is melting and melting fast. In the last 25 years, we lost ice that took 2,000 years to form and are on pace to see the entire glacier melt within the next 30 years. Interstellar investigators have been hunting a ninth planet in our solar system for over a century. After a bunch of dead ends, it appears the case is warming up as a new observatory in Chile may crack the case wide open. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery executive producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Discovery coordinating producer is Krishna San Nicholas. This show is hosted by us, Callie and Nate. Our head writer and senior producer is Joey Scavuzzo. Additional writing comes from James Lynch and Matt Mayer. Our researcher is Rachel Wild. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Callie. And I'm Nate. We'll see you next week.